Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am Chris Lee, your host. Thanks for joining me today. Today, in this next episode of uh, the series on bonds, county bonds that we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going all the way back. Uh, This is the first county bond that was passed in the state of Iowa back in 2008 in Johnson County. My discussion today is with Larry Gullett, the director in Johnson County. And the, uh, the bond that they passed is a little bit different. Uh, the way it came about was significantly different. It was actually community-led rather than led from the inside out. And uh, it's kind of interesting how it all came to be and how it almost didn't, uh, just due to timing. And uh, when I guess when it comes to these type of things, timing is everything, right? As it is with most things, I suppose. So, uh, in this second installment here of our discussion about county bonds, please enjoy this discussion with Larry Gullett, director in Johnson County, Iowa. Yours, I believe, is the oldest one. You guys were from uh, 08, right? Yeah, they passed it in 08, and I didn't start working here until 2013. Mm Mm-hmm. So they had passed it five years before I started, but they had only spent about $500,000 in that first five years. And and so uh, just this year, for the new budget that kicks first, we will have extinguished our $20 million. Okay. So uh, as of right now, all of our bond is we still have some money in there, but all of it's been appropriated to projects. Okay. And, uh, yeah. We've leveraged, we've leveraged that money. We've, we've leveraged it. We've done about $37 million in projects for the 20 million. Okay. So we've leveraged it quite a bit, and uh, that's been a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you talk about bonding, there's like two different kinds of bonding. There's the conservation bonds, which people traditionally think of, which are voted on by the public. And then you have annual bonding that the Board of Supervisors can do to fund projects. Uh-huh. And we do both here. So in addition to our conservation bond, the Board of Supervisors, at least in Johnson County, have bonded for a lot of other projects in the last 10 years. And uh, so we have tremendous support mm-hmm. for the program. Yeah. And, uh, I assume you're talking about the bonds that people vote on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the the referendums. Um, do you know? I know this this predates you a little bit, but how the process went there in Johnson County to get that on the ballot? Yeah. So, uh, members of the public and elected officials actually came to the director of the conservation board back in probably 2006 and they said why don't we do this in Johnson County it's never been done before and so a planning process started and a lot of people within the local community stepped forward to serve on the conservation bond committee and they had a they had co-chairs at that time and so the entire concept of the conservation bond came from elected officials and the public, not the conservation board. Mm. And, and so then uh, Perry Graves, then, who was the director, said, yeah, well, this sounds like a good thing. So they just started a process of working with this group. And they brought in, I think it's called the National Trust for Public Land. There's two of these different public land trusts 
that, that work nationally. And I can't remember the the exact name of the one that they used, but I think it was called the National Trust, uh, National Land Trust for Public Lands or something like that. They're mm-hmm. based out of Virginia. And they came in and they helped the committee do a survey of residents in the county uh, to test the water and see if there was support for this within the county. And there was strong support for it throughout the county. And so then the next step was to do a survey, random survey, to think how find out how much people would be willing to contribute for an overall bond if it was voted on. And, and so they asked for, like if we asked for $50 million or $40 million or $30 million or $20 million or $10 million, how much, how many, how many of you would vote yes at different levels. Mm, okay. And they, their original intent was to ask for ten million, and and when they did the survey, there was something like ninety percent of the people that would support ten million, and and then when they did twenty million, it was like eighty percent, and then uh, thirty million it jumped down to like 60% mm-hmm. and you have to have 60% votes. So the national trust for public lands said 20 million is your figure Okay, that you want to use. So the 20 million was determined really through public input. Oh, that's and, interesting. And that's how it started. And so, and so they, they did that and then they put it on the, I don't know how many signatures you have to have to put it on the ballot, but that was no problem. And if you remember right, uh, President George Bush Jr. was near the end of his term, and that's when Obama was elected in 2008. Mm -hmm. And that whole summer, the economy started to tank. (laughs) Yeah. we were in a major recession. And so every week the trust for public land working with the conservation board and this committee was doing a survey of County residents to see what their support level was. And and every week for several weeks before the election, the support was dropping weekly because of, because of the economy. Right. So the day of the vote, they didn't know whether it was going to pass or not because the economy was tanking. Right. And it ended up passing with 61%. It was like 60.6 or 60.8%. But just a couple weeks before that, it was like up into the 80s. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, uh, so it was amazing that they passed it even under severe economic recession mm-hmm. and uh and and so uh because it hadn't been done before the county conservation board and this bonding committee didn't really know what to expect as far as proposing projects so we did a strategic plan mm-hmm. and and we actually did that in 2013 when i started to find out what were the priorities of the public. Mm. And, and our strategic plan included input from conservation thought leaders, from nonprofit conservation groups, from the general public. And then uh, we identified a list of priorities that people were supportive of. <laughs> and we've used that as a template. <clears throat> to evaluate potential projects. Mm-hmm. So and, uh, let me back up on that a little bit though. So you, you didn't have like park master plans in a, in a big uh, 
department-wide strategic plan in place prior to the vote. So what was the messaging for the vote? Like what, what did voters, what, what were voters promised if they passed this, well, this bond referendum? Yeah. So, so when you put a bond proposal on the ballot, mm-hmm. the words in the verbiage that you use in that bond, in that ballot language is a legal statement. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be very careful about what you put in the ballot language. And so as part of that surveying process, starting two years before it was put on the ballot, the the bonding committee working with the Trust for Public Lands was also evaluating what language should be put on the board for this support. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it's very general. Uh, I can't remember the, the language off the top of my head. I should have it memorized by now, but it was <laughs> only like three sentences. And it said, do you support something like, do you support the use of a $20 million in conservation bonding for development and maintenance or development and management of park and recreation areas throughout the county, including forests, prairies, and wetlands, and projects that improve water quality with the requirement of an annual audit. Mm-hmm. And what they found out is, is that people really supported this general language, but when they added in the words subject to an annual audit, that's when a lot of people supported it. So they, they really liked the thought that this money was going to be audited on an annual basis to make sure that the money was spent according to the bonding language. Okay. All right. And, and, and so the, the language that goes on the, the ballot measure, at least in Johnson County, was more in general. You know, it identified trail. It, it identified water quality, air quality, forests, and recreation areas, including trails. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all the people needed to make a determination on if they would vote for it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and then what we've done, what the Conservation Board did, is based on the outcome of the strategic plan focus areas or priorities, <clears throat> we developed a filter of criteria that any potential land acquisition would be evaluated to see how it fit within these criteria. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so when somebody comes to us and they want to sell us land, we apply that evaluation criteria to the property and see if it would end up being a priority of the conservation board. And we may have five or six different evaluation criteria. Most of the projects that we have moved forward with meet anywhere from four to six of the criteria. Okay. But in reality, they only have to meet one of them. Mm-hmm. It'd be a priority, but the projects are multi-beneficial. Right, right. And, and, and so, uh, so at any rate, it's, it, it's been a great run. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, now there are members of the public contacting us uh, wanting to do another one. Mm-hmm. You think you're so going we're, to? We're going to be initiating a planning process to test the water and gauge the public's attitude about 
proposing another one if they want us to. Yeah, yeah. Well, if the, the turnout for Polk County's second one is any indication, there's there's more support now than what there was back then. Uh, you know, they just passed their second one with 80 plus percent of the vote. And so uh, it doesn't appear as though conservation in parks has gotten any less popular in modern era. Right. I think when you go to these urban areas, uh, people realize the demand for green space and outdoor recreation because it's so limited. The, the amount of green space and public lands available in urban areas is really lacking. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're even though people in rural areas support conservation, people that live in high population centers experience the lack of opportunities every day. Yeah. And when you live out in the country in a rural landscape with a lower population, there's so much green space around you that it's almost like a way of life. Right. Yeah, you just learn to take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, the so I'm curious about the audit. Um, you know, how the how that's set up and how that's done. Yeah, so there's a there's a uh, in Johnson County because this had never been done before, they wanted to have legal expertise on bonding. Mm-hmm. And so Johnson County engaged, there's a person in Des Moines, he's an attorney, but he is the go-to person on bonding uh, requirements in Iowa. And I can't remember his name right now, but most of the laws related to bonding in Iowa have been written through this individual. Legally, he's the expert. And so we engaged him in our bonding program. And every time that we propose a project, we send that description of the project to him before we even move forward with it to make sure that it, in his opinion, this is consistent with and fits the ballot language. And, 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 and so, you know, that's kind of an informal audit, but we run it through uh, bonding attorneys before we even propose it to make sure that this is an eligible project. Then every, every year when Johnson County does our audit uh, with the state or a private auditing firm, we have them also audit that conservation bond account. Uh, Okay. And and, and so really, you know, when we put the auditing language in the ballot measure, that's something we do anyway. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, every county is audited every year. It's just that the public doesn't know that. Right. And, and so when we put in there that it's subject to an audit, that's standard operating procedure anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 but it's just that the public feels assured when they know that. Right. Okay. And, but, but, but like I say, we double-check with bonding attorneys before we even move forward with the project. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and that's pretty expensive. You know, those those bonding attorneys can charge up to like five hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, attorneys aren't but, cheap. But it, but it may only take them thirty minutes to review your project. Right. Yeah. Yep. And and then you know you've got the blessing of legal counsel before even moving forward. So that you know that puts a lot of assurances. Yeah. That's right. So if somebody, taxpayer or some concerned citizen comes into the auditor's office or the supervisors or the finance department and questions the project, they already have got a legal opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then what mechanisms do you use then to communicate the impacts of this bond 
to the public, you know, the $37 million worth of stuff that you've done, obviously you're going to have, you know, some parks and amenities to show for it. But, um, are there any specific strategies you've used to, to keep the public informed of, of how their bond dollars are being used and what the, the return on investment has been? Yeah. So there's a, a couple different things. Well, one, we developed a sign, you know, it's, it's 12 by 12, just like you, you know, those REAP signs yeah. put up on projects. We custom designed a bonding, conservation bonding sign that's 12 inches by 12 inches. And every time we do a project out on the ground, uh, whether it's a trail or a, a public land acquisition or a development project, we put up at least one of these signs in that area. So every time the public uses an area that's funded that way, they see this sign. And and so we have signage in the park. In addition to that, you know, we have our newsletter Mm -hmm. and regular public news releases. So that's really about all that we've done is is the public news releases, uh, social media posts, signage and then you know when we go to get programs to like Rotarians or or uh, Lions Clubs or any other type of community interest group we talk about the projects and we always mention how it was funded uh-huh. and, and, and so that's really all we've done one of the things we're considering doing is putting together uh maybe a couple of different things, maybe a short video production, um, five to 10 minutes long of what the projects are that we've finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in addition to that, we may put together a larger document that's much more detailed about each one of the projects as a archived history mm-hmm. of how the bond was used. But, We've already bounced this idea off different people, too. And really, the general population does not need or want like a 30- or 40-page report on each project that you've done. They just want a summary statement with bullet points. Yeah. And that's good enough for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, if somebody wants to get into it more, they can, but uh, I have a tendency to want to develop documents and with all kinds of detailed information in it, and we need to do that just, just so we have a history of what happened here. But uh, there are very few people that want that level of detail, right? And, and so, just a list, just a simple list of the projects with bullet points about what those projects did is uh, is good enough for most people. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the uh, like, acres and, and mile trail, you know, things like that are important. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if they know that we we acquired six different public areas encompassing 1,100 acres of land, that's what most people want to know. Yeah. And, and you can get as detailed as you want, but uh, the original goal, when the conservation bond was passed, the some of the conservation bond committee and leaders were hoping that we could add three or maybe 400 acres to the conservation system. And we added between 11 and 1200. Wow. uh, In addition to building trails and doing a lake restoration for water quality and a lot of other things. Right. Right. Yeah. What a, what an impact. Yeah, that's, that, that's, so well, one thing awesome. I, who, who's your podcast going to be targeted to? Largely 
it's for other conservation professionals out there. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to reach, you know, other county conservation folks, uh, you know, city parks folks, but, you know, county conservation is the world that I know. And so generally when I'm here talking on a mic, it's, uh, I, I'm envisioning, you know, my colleagues out across the world of county conservation, because that's, that's the world that I live in. And, you know, my goal with this is to share this knowledge that, that is so abundant within our, our industry to, to just try to broaden that out. And so, you know, if, if there's another County out there that's thinking that they would like to look towards doing a bond, I know I'm one of them. I, I've, at some point in the, in the future, I would like to see our County, uh, go for this. And, uh, you know, just what, what, has that process been like in other counties and, you know, what are some of the pitfalls to avoid, uh, what's worked well and, and things like that. And, and so that's, that's kind of the goal with, with this and, and really anything. I, I interview retiring directors too, to try to capture some of that knowledge as it leaves our industry. And, and so that's kind of the, the strategy here. And so with that, what, if a, if a county today was, was going to look at trying to do a bond process, um, what, recommendations do you have or what, uh, cautions do you have of things that they maybe ought to avoid, um, or, or things that worked well for you or otherwise didn't any suggestions for other counties that might be trying this process? Yeah. So, so, so I think the, the support from outside the formal organization is really critical to have those people engaged and so you, you have a friend group or Pheasants Forever or other nonprofit groups in the county engaged. They could be snowmobilers, I don't know, cross-country skiers, people who like to fish, people who, you know, environmental education people, teachers, stuff like that. If you have them engaged in running the bonding publicity, that's absolutely critical. And, and and so outside support for the program and having community leaders that are highly affected within your county serve on that committee is critical. And, and, and so you want to have community leaders engaged from outside your organization. But then the other thing, Chris, the big, this is the big thing. You better have a rock solid staff because as soon as you as soon as the public appropriates this money to your conservation department the amount takes to plan write grants and implement these projects is incredible and and, and so if, if your staff <clears throat> is already buried just trying to keep up with the operations and maintenance and, and regular programming that you have, and now all of a sudden you come in and you get $10 million or 20 or $30 million or even more, and you have to implement projects, the amount of time it takes the director and all of the staff to implement those projects is daunting and it completely changes your whole program. And so, because you can only ask so much of people at their job. And so, uh, so you better have a really good staff that is committed to conservation and working because that's the only way you're going to be able to implement these projects effectively is if you have as if you have dedicated people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, for, for example, you know, I've worked for four different county conservation boards, and my job in each one of those counties has been slightly different based on what it takes to implement the program in that county. So, so in a lot of counties, all other three counties that I worked in, I did a lot of like public speaking and meeting with 
community groups, and just engaged in different organizations within the county because you're continually trying to sell and build your program. I've done very little of that in Johnson County in nine years because there's no time to do that because you're trying to complete all the planning and construction implementation of the money that you've got. And, and, and so, you know, I don't know what Rich Leopold and, and Dennis Goumet told you, but the, the amount of effort and work that it takes by a staff and the conservation board and to some extent the board of supervisors and your budgeting department, finance committee, or auditor is immense. And it's not just the staff. The conservation board has more contracts to approve. They have more planning to do. The board of supervisors have to appropriate this money every year. It, it you know creates processes that they have to go through. So the conservation bonding is a wonderful thing, but it's a team effort between a lot of people stepping up and doing additional work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see how it would be. All of it is that the team effort, not only between the staff, but the conservation board, the board of supervisors, and your finance and budgeting, and maybe even your county attorney, too, if you have the county attorney involved in uh, helping you evaluate contracts and requests for proposals and things like that, then the county attorney also has additional work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the question that I've had is, you know, so, uh, you know, back in 2008, um, so let me ask this, how has your staffing changed uh, since 2008, have you added staff and, and do you know, was that a discussion at the time of, you know, look, if we're going to do $20 million or, or more, whatever that leverage rate was projected to be at the time, and and we're going to do these projects and, and expand these parks or get these new parks and these new lands, um, you know, here's the resources that we know we have available to us as far as human capital right now. Was there a discussion then about, you know, we're going to need more staff or more seasonals, and, and has that come to, f- to fruition? No, so, so if you uh, if you propose all of the chances of it happening or getting a bond passed is pretty slim. So, so, so when you talk about providing trails, biosensitive sites along rivers and streams, wetlands, prairies, areas to go hunting, there's tremendous support to do all that and improve water quality. When you start talking about adding staff to the conservation department and increasing the budget, there's very little support for that. <laughs> exactly. So, 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 so if you went into a bonding process and you're talking about those things, you just as well not even waste your time doing it uh-huh. because it's not, nobody wants their taxes to go up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so this is another advantage of living in these urban areas is that the rate tax growth every year in the counties is so high that people can afford to do that. Mm. If you're in a county with a, with a stagnant tax base without an increase, then why would you even propose trying to add more staff? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I mean, publicly, right. You, you got to have political support. So, to give you an idea in Johnson County, because you, because when I started here in 2013, we had 14 full-time staff. And in nine years now, it'll be nine years, July 1st, our staff is now up to 25. Wow. So the supervisors have added 11 full-time staff people to our department. In a di- in when I started here in 2013, we had one centralized operations center for the whole county. Now we have four operation centers around the county. 
Wow. And so we so what I did when I first started here was I, you know, I wrote all these things out on a piece of paper. I said, look, we got 14 full-time staff members here. When people pass the conservation bond, they want more conservation and they want more recreation and they want it now throughout the county. How are we going to do that? And our 14 staff people looked and they said, the only way that we can do this is to split up. Because, you know, when you start doing things like trying to address climate change, and, and now you're, and, and, and then also if you come to a centralized shop and you got to take care of these other outside areas, which are big projects, and you got to put two to three people in a pickup truck and drive for 30 to 40 minutes, then you got to, at the end of the day, cut off an hour early to load your equipment up and go back. Well, you just spent two to three people for two to three hours a day wasting time. Yeah. Windshield time. Yep. Plus all of the emissions that you put into the atmosphere, you know, the fossil fuels burn. Right. Yeah. So, so our so uh, our staff recommended, look, we got to support. We really don't want to do it because of the teamwork we have. But we've got to split up. So, so we went to the supervisors. And when I told you that in addition to the conservation bond, the board of supervisors have bonded for other things, mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking about. They are like bonding almost every year to build new outside operation centers, to buy vehicles and all of the equipment that's needed to manage all these areas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just got done building a $1.7 million shop up by Sutliff in the northeastern part of the county, and it's it's as good or better than our main centralized shop that we have at Kemp Park. And so, 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 so you're right. That, but it's like I tell our staff, they said, well, why can't they give us these employees now because we're so stretched. And I said, that's not how the world works. You can go to any city that's experiencing growth and there's no way in hell the public works department or the parks and recreation department or any of those departments grow until you've had the growth. You, you you don't go in as a elected official and appropriate a hundred thousand dollars more a year for another staff person when you haven't even added any ground yet. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've got development drive growth in a program. The growth in the program does not drive development and the increased budgeting. So. So, so you've got to have development first, whether it's in the parks or in the city or in the county, before you can get more money to expand your program. And, and when I started here, the staff was kind of stuck with, well, we're not going to adopt a trails program if they don't give us any other staff. Well, I just told the staff, well, if that's your attitude and the way you want to do it, Show me one other place in the country where that has worked. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way. It works by you going out, you build a trail. Now you've got 10 miles of hard surface trail to take care of. More people are using it. So you go to the supervisors and you say, look, we got to mow this trail. we got to manage the invasive species. We have adjacent neighbors and landowners that need the fences up capped. And, and so then they appropriate the money for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not they don't appropriate it first, right? And, and so, uh, so Chris, you can't uh, if you have people that are focused on the increase in staffing and equipment and operational costs up front. There's no way it's going to work. Yeah, no, no way. It, but 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 if you sell it from the point of view 
that you're going to providing more homes for wildlife, taking care of endangered species, improving water quality, providing recreational opportunities for trail users, places for people to put their canoes and kayaks in. That's what makes it go. Mm-hmm. You know that, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a a tough kind of juggling act. I mean, in, in a in a growth county, you know, a county whose whose tax base is growing, you know, like the bigger counties in the state, uh, you know, that that sell is a little bit easier because there's there's more dollars available just through growth of of the of population and not necessarily in growth of tax rates. Whereas in in a, a non-growth county, you know, say a county that's that's flatlined population or God forbid, you know, shrinking county, um, that that growth in, in tax base isn't there. And so more dollars is going to require other tax increases or you're going to have to rob Peter to pay Paul. And so that it makes it kind of tough, even though the demand is, is still the same. And then you get into this argument of, you know, if we make these investments in quality of life amenities, will that result in growth? in the county, but you can't, it's hard to make those investments when you don't have the growth in the first place. And so it's a, it's a bit of a chicken or egg type, type deal there. And and so. You're exactly right. It's all related to economic health of the county that you're in and growth. And now if you're in a smaller county where you have stagnant growth, like it's staying about the same or just a, a two to three percent increase each year, something like that. Then you may your strategy for passing a bond may have to change to where you're very very specific about what you're going to add or support through the bond program. Maybe even down to a project by project basis, mm-hmm. and yeah. let the people vote on it. That that's the thing I love about conservation bonds is that as a conservation director, I could really care less if the people vote for it or not. It's up to them. That if we if we do another conservation bond and the people we only get fifty percent of the vote, then I'm okay with that because I gave the people the opportunity to decide. Mm. Yeah, and, and, if, and if they didn't want it, then so be it. We're not going to provide it to them. And so that's the great thing about a conservation bond referendum is, is that the people get to decide what they want. Right. And, 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 and conservation officials should not be upset or depressed if they don't get it. They should be proud that they gave the people the opportunity to express what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the way it is. And, and uh, you know, uh, as a conservation director and staff, our job is we're committed to the earth and the environment and recreation no matter what. And, and, and so... So it, it, uh, yeah. So, so anyway, Chris, it's, uh, I love conservation bonds because it puts the power with the people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, it, that's a great way to look at it. I, I like that. It, it, and the people decide. And, and if they say no, then, then fine. It, it's, it's a no, but, but at least you gave them the chance. Mm hmm. And I I would be curious in some of these counties, you know, mine maybe being one of them, if if you were to give the public the opportunity to vote on, you know, not necessarily even a, a bond issuance, but uh, you know, even just a, a conservation department's budget, um, if you would see, you know, larger support than what some of these counties are getting necessarily from their board of supervisors through the budgeting process. And so then I'm curious, would a bond process help shine light on the the public support that there is for these type of things? But ultimately you have to go through the board of supervisors to make that happen in the first place. And and if 
you're not getting the allocations through the annual budgeting process, then you're probably not going to get yourself on the ballot in the first place. But I just, that was kind of the, one of the things floating in my head is that I think there's a lot of support, even in a lot of these smaller non-growth counties, but it, it hamstrings them a little bit because if they're going to, you know, let's say they could pass, let's say Des Moines County down here could pass a, a 10 or $20 million bond on the next election. I don't have the operational capacity to, to do those type projects. I can't go adding more things without more resources. And so do you, do you try to build that operational infrastructure ahead of it? Or do you, do you just jump into the, into the projects, launch the projects, and then just trust that the political support will be there to grow the operational infrastructure. And, and I don't know, you know, I, but you're spot on, you better have a rock solid staff ready to, to take this on without adding a bunch of resources if you're going to be doing these projects. And so that's, that's good insight. Yeah. Well, that, that, yeah, that's what I was telling you earlier is that if you're, if you're from the mindset that, your operational expenses are not enough to cover increased acquisition and of lands and other projects. So you're not going to move forward with it. I can tell you right now, you're never going to move forward with it because you have to show the demand and need before the money is appropriated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing too, is that, you know, when, each year when you go through the budgeting process and I go into the supervisor and I ask them for anywhere from one to three positions every year, you know, we, you have to make a justification statement. And I tell them, look, in 2008, the people in this county voted uh, for more conservation and more recreation in this county. And uh, they expect us to take care of it in a safe and presentable manner. And, and what that does is if the supervisors are so inclined, it gives them the justification to appropriate more money. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if they're against it, then fine. But you've got to do the development first and put your staff in a hole to where they really can't take care of it because of the demands on their time before you can get more people to, yeah. to do it, and that's where if you have a county that's growing, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Because if you're in a county that's not growing, just the increase in healthcare costs on an annual basis can be a struggle for the board of supervisors to fund. Oh yeah, and and and, and so when you start, so so they have trouble just funding the rise in health care costs for their county employees and now you're going to come in and ask them for another position yeah i mean it, it may they look at you like you're half nuts <laughs> yep. and, 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 so, mm-hmm. and i don't blame them because you know we have staff that don't understand money in the budgeting process either and uh you you gotta you can only ask rural you can only ask people to pay so much right and, and, you know, our growth in the county, Johnson County, I don't know the exact number. People try to keep numbers, you know, like growth mm-hmm. in, in tax revenue. It's almost impossible to find out what it is because some elected officials and other people that like to see more opportunities for the public, they don't want that information out there. But I, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Johnson County's annual increase in tax revenue from property taxes is probably two to four million dollars a year. Wow, two two to four million dollars minimum every year. Well, if you look at just if we just do a merit increase and cost of living increase for the conservation staff alone, the the annual cost of like a one to three percent rise in salaries each year just within the conservation department is at least a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Well, if you take that times 
20 different county departments just to just to do an annual increase in salary requires two million dollars a year in Johnson County, right? And growth, yeah. And, and 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 so we're lucky because the supervisors here have made it a priority that with all the growth in Johnson County, the first thing they're going to do is take care of their employees mm. for for health care and salaries, yeah. So every year that comes right off the top, making sure that everybody is treated fairly and equitably. Then that's when uh, uh, tough decisions get made about which projects they're going to fund for the next year. Sure, yeah. And, uh, wow. and so the other thing we do, too, when we develop the strategic plan, and we had input from conservation thought leaders, elected officials, the general public, everybody it was comprehensive. When we finished that strategic plan, we met with the supervisors and, and showed them the outcome and, and the results. And it was the supervisor's recommendation that the supervisors, conservation board, and conservation staff get together every two years in a retreat and evaluate the progress on the strategic plan. And, and so every two years, we get together where the staff, supervisors, and conservation board all get together, and we have those retreats. It's an all-day retreat with lunch and we have an outside facilitator come in and facilitate the whole event. We have somebody from the Institute for Conservation Leadership do that, and we time that retreat in October and November every two years because it's right before budget time. And, and, and so when the supervisors go in to make their budget decisions in December and January, they have a fresh in their mind that they they went through the strategic planning process with the conservation board, and that, those retreats have been critical to the support of our program. Yeah, I can see how it would be. Wow. Do, and, uh, do you have a mechanism in place to capture ongoing public feedback, or is it largely just tied to, to progress on, on strategic plans, you know, cause I know it's one thing for the conservation director or even the conservation board to go to the board of supervisors and say, you know, Hey, this is what we need. It's something else entirely to have that input from the public, you know, saying, look, this is what we as public demand. Do you have mechanisms or, or groups that, that back you up doing that kind of thing? No, not on a basis. We okay. do that as needed. Sure. So, so, so sometimes people that are into planning and strategic planning think, okay, you got to develop a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. You got to develop a three-year plan. You got to develop an eight-year plan. <laughs> I don't agree with that approach. I think you develop a comprehensive strategic plan, implement that, and keep implementing it until you start to get input or sense that there are other needs and priorities that are not being met or maybe a shift in attitudes, mm -hmm. then you develop another strategic plan. Okay. And, and, and so you do it as needed, not on any type of regular basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if somebody told me that I had to go through a strategic planning process on a regular basis, I would tell them to find somebody else. I'm not wasting my time <laughs> because that's that's how you get these attitudes that, yeah, we went through a strategic planning process and it was a joke. Nothing ever happened with it. Mm -hmm. That's why. Yeah. Because people are doing these plans when there's no need to do them. But you can you can sense as a planner when you need a planning process. Yeah, and, and uh, 
what what you don't want to see the conservation board was appointed by the supervisors to represent conservation in the county and the public. And so so if somebody came to me and they said, you're going to develop a conservation bond, but you're going to have a separate committee that helps provide input on where that money's spent and stuff, I'd say, uh-uh. You, you look at chaps, that's what the conservation board does. Mm-hmm. And, and so we don't, if somebody, any any conservation organization or any member of the public wants to come to any of our conservation board meetings or meet with us, they're more than welcome to. And, yeah. and our board will seriously consider their input, but, but we're not going to give other private groups a formal vote mm-hmm. in a decision-making process about how this money is going to be spent because somebody has to be in charge of that and the, and the conservation board can make that decision. But ultimately, I think you referenced it, even though we got $20 million for the conservation bond every year, I have to go to the supervisors and propose how much money we need from our bond for the next year. Mm-hmm. And they have the opportunity to deny that. But, but, but if your proposal is focused on your strategic plan that was developed with public input. I can't see the supervisors ever not supporting it. Right. And by facilitating those retreats, you're, you're keeping that front of mind and you're showing progress towards it. And so, you know, it isn't just a, a plan that was done for planning sake and then stuck on a shelf. It's, it's actually a, a living document that you're referencing and, and showing progress on and you have buy-in from, from all sides. And that's, I think that's the critical link there is that, you know, it's, it's a document that's subscribed to by the conservation board, by the board of supervisors and was established with public input. And so that, that bridges that gap in all dimensions. I like that. That's that's a cool. So so, so when we have that retreat, we don't pull out the strategic plan and review all of the focus areas and priorities of the strategic plan. We, we bring in a consultant from the Institute for Conservation Leadership, and that consultant works closely with me ahead of time to draft the entire agenda and itinerary for that strategic retreat based on the dynamics of what's happening within the county and the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so during the retreat, you know, we'll talk about all the projects that we've done and we've, and, and we've completed in the last year or two and projects that we have coming up. But then, for example, the last retreat we did right before COVID, as a director, the biggest thing that came out of that retreat for me was that the staff people within the department wanted additional opportunities for training and, and and so, you know, we have quite a few young people and they're just in the first part of their careers and they were wanting more formalized training in workshops and seminars and certifications. And so that allowed me to go to the supervisors the next year and where we had $200 a year budgeted for uh, registration and professional enrichment for each staff person which was way too low, we increased that to $500 per person. And and the supervisors supported it because they were at the retreat where everything was uh, discussed and everybody respects one another's opinions. Mm -hmm. And so the supervisors appropriated that money. So the, the outcome of the retreat was not what I expected. But I was glad to be able to do that because I didn't even know the staff felt this way. Right, right, yeah. It wasn't necessarily what you expected, but it's exactly what you needed to hear. That's 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 really cool. That, that um, so it's 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 less of you know just reviewing the plan, but more of kind of keeping everybody in the loop on on overall broad operations and kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of of the industry and you know what the the public's wanting is that. 
kind of a yeah, uh, yeah. When when we go around the table in those retreats, everybody's equal, and so we we have seating arrangements, and we we seat conservation board members with staff members, and then with board of supervisors. So everybody is treated the same, and they go around the table and in small groups and keep notes and tabs on what's most important, what what everybody around that table, what their personal opinion is, what they like, what they don't like. And so, you know, you have staff talking about they need more money for this and more money for that. And then you have the Board of Supervisors telling the person, look, last year, property values in the county went up, went up 10%. We actually lowered the tax rate, but everybody's taxes still went up because their property values went up and we're getting complaints every week because everybody's taxes went up. So the staff person all of a sudden understands it's not just about getting more money. The board of supervisors have tough decisions too. Yeah. And and it helps everybody respect one another. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, because I do feel the supervisors got, they got really tough decisions to make. Oh, no question there. Yeah. So, so in any way, because I don't know, you know, it's a, it's pretty tough. And one of the luxuries of living in Johnson County, if you live in a county that's experiencing tremendous growth, it's a, it's a real blessing as far as being able to grow a program and you have to grow it. Otherwise you get further behind. Yeah. And, and, and people expect you to grow it, but at the same time, the workload on the employees, usually the, the workload on employees in a fast growing program far exceeds what the workload is on a program that's just staying about the same. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a, it's a curse and it's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you got kids yeah. and you know what you got kids and you got a family. And when you're so busy at work, that it's cutting into your time with your family. You know, so sometimes you just want to say the hell with it and you just want to go spend time with your family. <laughs> right. And you can do that, and can do that a lot easier in a, in a program that's not growing. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I talk a lot about and think a lot about legacy, and and that's kind of one of the reasons I've I've launched this podcast is that you know none of us went into this line of work for you know because it was easier because it paid well. Um, you know, we we largely understood that it was going to be a challenge, and I think a lot of us. And hopefully more of us um, want to leave a legacy on our community in some way, whether that's, you know, building great parks or doing natural resource management or whatever that is. And, and, and that's really what I hope for all of us in this industry and, and beyond this industry is that, you know, we've got people out there that are willing to step up, recognize that, you know, doing this is, is not going to be easy and it's, it's going to get harder as we go forward. And there will be tough decisions and, and some hurdles to get over, but the effort is is worth the reward, even though we might not see it directly because we're playing the long game here. You know, we're affecting this is generational stuff. The parks we build and the the stuff we do on the landscape that improves water quality and stuff. We're not going to see the impact of that necessarily tomorrow. But you know, anybody that's got a nature center or runs education programs has seen this if they've been there long enough. The kids that came through their nature center programs that then become parents later on and they're bringing their kids to the nature center programs, you can see that impact that you made on them. And so that's that's the game we're playing here. We're leaving a legacy. And, and I hope that, you know, the folks listening to this realize that, you know, yeah, this is this is hard stuff, but the effort is worth the reward and understand that the reward is is in the long run. We're playing the long game here. And so, yeah. It's um, hopefully hopefully more of us out there will will be willing to step up and and try to to generate some growth in our communities, you know, in some of the smaller communities, or or be part of the growth if you're already experiencing it in your community. So, 
I think with that, I'd like to kind of wrap this up. I, I really appreciate taking time to chat with me. This has been insightful. I, uh, I love that retreat idea. I'm, I'm going to run with that a little bit. That's, that's really cool. Um, I, I may have to, uh, pick your brain a little bit more about that sometime later on. We haven't got together for three years because of the pandemic. Yeah. And, and so, so, so if, if you start doing that, Chris, what you'll find is, is that the staff and conservation board and supervisors all look forward to it. Mm-hmm. If you do it every two years and, and we've gone three years without doing it because of the pandemic and everybody, the board of supervisors, the conservation board and staff are all saying, what the hell's going on? We got to get back together. <laughs> they miss it. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's a really cool way to, to bridge that gap because often there is that gap between the board of supervisors and the, and the conservation board and the staff. And, you know, and it's, it's real easy to, to nitpick decisions and, and, you know, not understand why decisions were made a particular way. And if you sit everybody at the table together as equals that, that modulates yeah. that a little bit. I, that's, that's a cool idea. So, yeah. well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I, I, uh, uh, looking forward to sharing this with the rest of the world. Um, hoping to uh, get these kind of put together. These are going to come out in a series um, of episodes, probably um, throughout the month of June, is what I'm shooting for, and um, hoping to do them kind of a weekly deal, back to back to back. And um, so, yeah, should be should be kind of neat to uh, to put them all together and, and look at it kind of all as as one picture. It's it's. Pretty cool. A lot of cool stuff going on around this state and, and uh, sure do appreciate you and your staff and the board and the supervisors up there in Johnson County doing great things. And Keep yeah. it up. Well, the same to you, Chris. Thank you for everything you're doing, too. So. Yeah, you bet. So. Yeah. So if you need anything, give me a call. I'm happy to talk to you. Any- All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much and uh, have a great long weekend. Yep. You too. Thanks. Uh, yep. Bye. One last thing before you go, if you have gotten any benefit out of listening to this podcast, uh, if you've learned anything or gleaned any information that you think will help you out in your job, in your career, in your daily life, uh, or just some interesting nuggets along the way that uh, you found entertaining or enjoyed listening to in any way, uh, please share it. That's the whole reason I started this, is to share this information with the world, uh, with those of us in the world of conservation and parks, and uh, I need your help. I need your help spreading that around, getting that out to the masses. And so, if you can, tell a friend or colleague about this show, about this podcast, or uh, of course, since we're all products of algorithms these days, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to because that will help help the podcast climb up the ranks and, and be uh, more noticeable to those that are looking for uh, podcasts related to conservation and parks. So please share this around if you can and uh, tune in next time and keep listening. Thanks for joining me and we'll talk to you again soon.